0: Welcome to another night of warrior reads as always make sure that you've handled anything before bed that the room is dark and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember as you're listening if you get excited by a story or interested don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived, or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head, and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Here is the story about a kid named Jim that hears the call to adventure. While working at his parents' motel in England, Jim hears the story from a tenant named Billy Bones who told him of a great treasure buried by the roughest pirate who ever sailed the seven seas, Captain Flint. So, like any reasonable young adventurer would, he joins the crew of a ship that's in search of the buried treasure. However, things take a turn for the worse, as the ship's cook, Long John Silver, and some of the other crew members turn out to be fiendish pirates that were plotting to kill the crew and take the treasure for themselves. Jim finds himself biting off more adventure than he bargained for, and must dig deep to find the courage, strength, honor, and mastery within to save himself and his fellow crew members from the mutinous fiendish pirates. Treasure Island is a classic coming-of-age tale all about hearing the call to adventure and facing the challenges that come by taking courageous action to emerge as a hero. Tonight we'll be going through chapter 11. While at sea, a hungry Jim sneaks out into the pantry to grab an apple in the night, only to overhear Long John Silver's plot to take control of the ship and steal the treasure for himself and the mutineers. This section reminds us that as a warrior, sometimes you're called upon to be the hero by the stroke of circumstance. Jim is just a kid that thought he'd get to explore and be a good hand on the ship. And Jim becomes a courageous hero later in the story where he takes out a pirate guarding the ship while the mutiny occurs on an island and helps everyone escape. But right now, he doesn't know what he's capable of. He isn't prepared to be the hero, but he's faced with a choice and compelled by his honor to act with the information that he discovers. In your life, you've probably already found yourself in a situation where you realize what was really going on isn't something that you signed up for, like a work project that turned sour and nobody told you the real situation. Maybe you realize someone is trying to scam you, or perhaps like Jim, you find that the person that you know as your friend is totally plotting to betray you. In those moments when you realize that the shit is going to hit the fan it can be really tough. But because you are a warrior you recognize that those moments also offer you the opportunity to rise to the occasion and be the hero. When the day comes where the tables are turned on you and danger calls your name. You might not know why or how you'll pull it off yet, but when you remember who you are, when you remember that you are a strong and courageous warrior of honor, the adventure unfolds for you, and you emerge as the hero that the situation called for. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. But as you let go of the day and the battles that you've won and lost, and prepare for the rest that you deserve, you're invited to put yourself in Jim's shoes, there at sea, and ask yourself, what would I do? All right mateys, let's load up on the ship and set sail for buried treasure. So relax and enjoy. We had some heavy weather, which only proved the qualities of the Hispaniola. Every man on board seemed well content, and they must have been hard to please if they had been otherwise. For it is my belief that there was never a ship's company so spoiled since Noah put to sea. Double grog was going on the least excuse. There was a duff on odd days, as for instance, if the squire heard it was any man's birthday, and always a barrel of apples standing broached in the waist for anyone to help himself that had a fancy. Never knew good come of it yet, the captain said to Dr. Livesley. Spoil forecastle hands, make devils, that's my belief. But good did come of that apple barrel, as you shall hear, for if it had not been for that, we should have no note of warning. And might all have perished at the hands of treachery this is how it came about we had run up the trades to get the wind of the island we were after i'm not allowed to be more plain and now we were running down for it with a bright lookout day and night it was about the last day of our outward voyage by the largest computation sometime that night or at latest, before noon of the morrow. We should sight the treasure island. We were heading south by southwest and had a steady breeze abeam in a quiet sea. The Hispaniola rolled steadily, dipping her bowsprite down and then with a whiff of spray. All was drawing alow and aloft Everyone was in the bravest spirits, because we were now so near an end of the first part of our adventure. Now, just after sundown, when all my work was over, and I was on my way to my berth, it occurred to me that I should like an apple. I ran on deck. The watch was all forward, looking out for the island. The man at the helm was watching the luff of the sail and whistling away gently to himself. And that was the only sound, except the swish of the sea against the bows, and around the sides of the ship. When I got boldly into the apple barrel, and found there was scarce an apple left, but sitting down there in the dark, what with the sound of the waters and the rocking movement of the ship, I had either fallen asleep, or was on the point of doing so, when a heavy man sat down with rather a clash close by. The barrel shook as he leaned his shoulders against it, and I was just about to jump up when the man began to speak. It was Silver's voice, and before I had heard a dozen words, I would not have shown myself for all the world, but lay there, trembling and listening, in the extreme of fear and curiosity, for these dozen words I understood that the lives of all the honest men aboard depended upon me alone. No, not I," said Silver. Flint was captain. I was quartermaster, along with my timber leg. The same broadside I lost my leg. Old Pew lost his dead lights. It was a master surgeon, him that amputated me. Out of college and all, Latin by the bucket what not. But he was hanged like a dog, and sun-dried like the rest at Corsco Castle. That was Robert's men, that was, and come to have names to their ships, Royal Fortune, and so on. Now what a ship was christened, so let her stay, I says. So it was with Cassandra, as brought us all safe home from Malabar after England took the Viceroy of the Indies. So it was the old Walrus, Flint's old ship, as I've seen amuck with the red blood, and fit to sink with gold. "'Ah,' cried another voice, that of the youngest hand on board, and evidently full of admiration. He was a flower of the flock, was Flint. Davis was a man too, by all accounts,' said Silver. I never sailed along with him, first with England, then with Flint. That was my story, and now here on my own account, in a manner of speaking. I laid by nine hundred safe from England, and two thousand after Flint. That ain't bad for a man before the mast. I'll safe and bank, tain't earn it now. It's saving, does it? You may lay to that. Where's all England's men now? I don't know. Where's Flint's? Why, most of them on board here, and glad to get the duff. Been begging before that. Some on them. Old Pew, has had lost his sight, and might have thought shame. Spends 1,200 pound in a year. Like a lord in parliament. Where's he now? Well, he's dead now and under hatches. But for two year before that, shiver me timbers, the man was starving. He begged, and he stole, and he cut throats, and starved at that by the powers. Well, it ain't much use after all, said the young seaman. It ain't much use for fools. You may lay to it, that or nothing, cried Silver. But now you look here. You're young, you are, but you're smart as paint. I see that when I set my eyes on you, and I'll talk to you like a man." You may imagine how I felt when I heard this abominable old rogue addressing another in the very same words of flattery as he had used to myself. I think, if I had been able, that I would have killed him through the barrel. Meantime, he ran on. Little supposing he was overheard. Here it is about gentlemen of fortune. They lives rough. And they risk swinging. But they eat and drink and fighting cocks. And when a cruise is done, why? It's hundreds of pounds instead of hundreds of firethings in his pockets. Now, the most goes for rum and a good fling. And to see again in their shirts... But that's not the course I lay. I puts it all away. Some here, some there. And none too much anywheres. By reason of suspicion. I'm fifty, Markio. Once back from this cruise, I set up gentlemen in earnest. Time's enough too. Says you. Ah, but I've lived easy in the meantime. Never denied myself a nothing. Hearts desires and slept soft. Ain't dainty all my days, but when at sea. And how did I begin? Before the mast, like you. Well, said the other. But that's all money's gone now, ain't it? You dance, show your face in Bristol after this. Why? Where might you suppose it was? Asked Silver diversely. At Bristol, in the banks and places. Answered his companion. It were said the cook, it were when we weighed anchor, but my old missus has it by now, and the spy is sold, leasing and goodwill and ringing, and the old girls off to meet me. I would tell you where, for I trust you, but I'd make jealousy among the mates, and you can trust your missus, asked the other. Gentlemen of fortune, returned the cook usually trust little among themselves. And right they are. You may lay to it. But I have a way with me. I have. When a mate brings a slip on his cable. One as knows me, I mean. It won't be in the same world with old John. There was some that feared of Pew, and some that was feared of Flint. But Flint, his own self, was feared of me. Feared he was, and proud. They was the roughest crew afloat, was Flint's. The devil himself would have feared to go to sea with them. Well now, I tell ya, I'm not a boasted man, and you see yourself how easy I keep company. But when I was a quartermaster, lambs wasn't the word for Flint's old buccaneers. Ah. You may be sure yourself in old John's ship. Well, I tell you now, replied the lad. I didn't half a quarter like the job I had till this talk with you, John. But there's my hand on it now. And a brave lad you were, and smart too, answered Silver, shaking hands so heartily that all the barrels shook. And a finer figurehead for a gentleman of fortune I ever clapped my eyes on. By this time, I had begun to understand the meaning of their terms. By a gentleman of fortune, they plainly meant neither more or less than a common pirate, and the little scene that I had overheard was the last act in the corruption of one of the honest hands, perhaps of the last one left aboard. But on this point, I was soon to be relieved, for Silver giving a little whistle. Third man strolled up and sat down by the party. Dick square, said Silver. Oh, I know Dick was square, returned the voice of the cockswain, his real hands. He's no fool is Dick. And he turned his quid and spat. But look here, he went on. Here's what I want to know, barbecue. How long are we gonna stand off and on like blessed bumboat? I've had almost enough of this, so oh, Captain Smollett. He's hazed me long enough, by thunder! I want to go in that cabin. I do. I want their pickles and their wines and all that. Israel said, "Silver, your head ain't much account, nor ever was, but you're able to hear, I reckon. Leastways, your ears is big enough. Now here's what I say: you'll berth forward." And you'll live hard. And you'll speak soft. And you'll keep sober till I give the word. And you may lay to that, my son. Well, I don't say no, do I? growled the coxswain. What I say is when. That's what I say. When, by the powers, cried Silver. Well, now, if you want to know, I'll tell you when. The last moment I can manage, and that's when. Here's a first rate seaman, Captain Smollett, sails the blessed ship for us. Here's the squire and doctor and a map and such. I don't know where it is, do I? No more do you, says you. Well then, I mean, this squire and doctor shall find the stuff and help us get it aboard. By the powers, then we'll see. If I was sure of you all, sons of double Dutchmen, I'd have Cap'n Smollett navigate us halfway back again before I struck. Why? We're all seamen aboard here, I should think, said the lad Dick. We're all forecastle hands, you mean, snapped Silver. We can steer a course, but who's gonna set one? that's what all you gentlemen split on. First and last, if I had my way, I'd have Captain Smollett work us back into the trades at least. Then we'd have no blessed miscalculations and a spoonful of water a day. But I know the sort you are, I'll finish with them, at the island. As soon as Blunt's on board, and a pity it is, but you're never happy till you're drunk. "'Split my sides. "'I have a sick heart to sail with the likes of you.' "'Easy, old Long John,' cried Israel. "'Who's a crossing of you?' "'Why, how many tall ships think ye now? "'Have I seen a light a "'And how many brisk lads drying in the sun at execution dock?' "'Cried Silver. "'And all this same, hurry and hurry and hurry, you hear me? "'I seen a thing or two at sea I have.' If you would only lay your course and point to windward, you would ride in carriages, you would. But not you. I know you. You'll have your mouth full of rum tomorrow and go hang. Everybody knows you as a kind of chaplain, John. But there's others as could hand and steer as well as you, said Israel. They liked a bit of fun, they did. They wasn't so high and dry, nohow, but took their fling, like jolly companions, everyone. So, said Silver, well, and where are they now? Pew was that sort, and he died a beggar man. Flint was, and he died a rum at Savannah. Ah, and they was a sweet crew, they was, only where are they? But, asked Dick. When do we lay them athwart? What are we to do with them, anyhow?" "'There's the man for me,' cried the cook admiringly. "'That's what I call business.' "'Well, what do you think?' "'Put them ashore like maroons?' "'What would have been England's way? Or cut them down like that much pork? That would have been flints or boneses.' "'Billy was the man for that,' said Israel. Dead men don't bite," says he. Well, he's dead now himself. He knows the long and short on it now. And if ever a rough hand came to port, it was Billy. Right you are," said Silver. Rough and ready. But mark you here, I'm an easy man. I'm quite the gentleman, says you. But this time, it's serious. "'Duty is duty, mates. "'I give my vote, death. "'When I'm in Parliament and riding in my coach, "'I don't want none of these sea lawyers in cabin a coming home, unlooked for, like the devil at prayers. "'Wait,' is what I say. "'But when the time comes, why, let her rip. "'John,' cries the coxswain, "'you're a man.' "'You'll say so.' Israel, when you see, said Silver, only one thing I claim, I claim Trelawney. I'll wring his calf head off his body with these hands, Dick, he added, breaking off. You just jump up like a sweet lad and get me an apple to wet my pipe like. You may fancy the terror I was in. I should have leapt out and run for it if I had found the strength. But my limbs and heart alike misgave me. I heard Dick begin to rise. And then someone seemingly stopped him. The voice of hands exclaimed. Oh, stow that. Don't you get sucking on that blige, John? Let's have a go of the wrong. Dick, said Silver. I trust ya. I have a gauge on my keg mind. There's the key. You fill a pankin, and bring it up terrified I was. I could not help thinking to myself that this must have been how Mr. Arrow got the strong waters that destroyed him. Dick was gone but a little while, and during his absence, Israel spoke straight on the cook's ear. It was but a word or two that I could catch, and yet I gathered some important news. For besides other scraps that tended to the same purpose, this whole clause was audible. Not another man of a muljay. Hence, there were still faithful men on board. When Dick returned, one after another of the trio took the pankin and drank one. To luck! Another with a, Here's to old Flint! And Silver himself sang, in a kind of song, Here's to ourselves! And hold your luff, plenty of prizes and plenty of duff. Just then, a sort of brightness fell upon me in the barrel, and looking up, I found the moon had risen and was silvering the mizzen top and shining white on the luff of the foresail. And almost at the same time, the voice of the lookout shouted, Land ho!